So I remember it really well. It was, uh, I don't know, 20-some years ago, I think, but I was driving down Sawmill Road. You have one of those days that you just kind of remember, like that spot, right? Something happened, and you remember it. So I was driving down Sawmill Road, uh, coming into the church office. It was early in the morning, and I was listening to a, a national radio program, and uh, as a news program, and they were talking about people that had babies, women that had babies, but did not know they were pregnant. And I was like, right. This is supposed to be like a worthy, like reputable news organization. And I'm like, this does not sound real to me. I don't believe this at all. They talked about this one lady who, um, believe it or not, was a nurse, first of all. So you would sort of think that she would know, you know, the birthing thing, what that would be like. Have some biological knowledge, if you will. The second thing was she was already a mother. She had had a baby before. I talked about how she went into the bathroom and felt cramps and just was in kind of pain. And then she had a baby, like literally had a baby. And she called her two-year-old to get the scissors so she could cut the umbilical cord. She called her husband and said, you need to come home. We just had a baby. <laughs> and he was like, sure, we had a baby. Honestly, he thought probably they had a miscarriage. So we got home, but no, she was kind of in shock, laying on the couch, baby on her chest. So they went to the hospital. This guy calls his mom. Oh, by the way, his mom works at the hospital. So she's like a couple floors up or something. And he calls her and says, Mom, you need to come down and meet your new granddaughter. And she was like, sure, I need to meet my granddaughter. What are you talking about? I'm like, this is just not, it can't be true. This cannot be a true story. They told the name of the mom and the dad. And I could not believe it. All of this is true. These people grew up in my neighborhood. Like Howard and I grew up together. We graduated together from high school. And I was like, no way, this cannot, wow. That's amazing. So it went from this thing, it was 100% unbelievable. I was, honestly, I was like, this is not true. You, how could you have a baby and not know you're pregnant? To, wow, I know these guys. That's an amazing story. And it's totally believable. Now, what changed from that story being unbelievable to believable? It wasn't the story. It wasn't the events that happened. It was the fact that I knew the people. And that made it 100% believable. You know, there are people that look at the Word of God. They think about God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They think about all these miracles that happened, and they're like, it doesn't seem very believable to me. I just, I don't think it's true. And honestly, if you don't have a relationship with God, it's completely understandable that you wouldn't believe it. But when you get to know God, when you have a relationship with God, your faith, your trust, your belief takes away the un. It makes the unbelievable completely believable. John, who we're going to be studying for the next several months as we walk through his gospel. And John, at the end of his gospel, he writes this in verse 31 of chapter 20. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? God, um, as we begin to unpack 
this amazing gospel of John. We just ask that you would help us to believe and, and to know the truth of Jesus. Thank you so much for sending him. We pray in his name. Amen. So again, we're starting this new series that's called Unbelievable. The next four weeks, we're going to look at four unbelievable truths that when we apply them to our lives, can make a huge impact. And we're going to be in John chapter 1. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 1, we'll be there in just a second. We get familiar with Jesus as we read the Bible, especially the New Testament, especially the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called the synoptic Gospels. They have a lot of material that's the same in each of them. John, however, is different. And we're going to unpack in John, uh, we're going to see these powerful pictures of Jesus. And as we go through John, we are going to look only at material that is not included in the other three Gospels. So if you want an absolutely complete picture of Jesus, again, you have to read all of the Gospels. But we're going to pick out just the parts that are in John that are not in any of the others. All of these guys that wrote these books, these Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mark and Luke did not have like a, an intimate relationship with Jesus. They didn't know him well personally. But they recorded things that eyewitnesses had shared with them and that the Holy Spirit, again, had inspired them to write. Matthew was a follower of Jesus, and so he had a better, closer picture. And, and he has uh, another perspective that's really helpful for us. And then there's John. John is one of Jesus' best friends. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, not to be proud of that, but to be humbled by that. Imagine, Jesus loves me. He was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He was the one who, at the Last Supper, was leaning on Jesus, so close, so intimate, such good friends. John's the only disciple that's at the cross. And he's the one that Jesus trusts to, to take care of his mother, Mary. John has powerful things to tell us about Jesus. Mark's gospel begins with a man named John the Baptist or John the prophet. Luke's goes a little before that, and he begins his gospel talking about the birth of Jesus. Matthew goes a little before that and talks about how Jesus came from these people. So he, he has a lineage, and he takes us back farther in time. But John, his is very unique. John takes us back to the beginning of time and says that Jesus was there and existed even before it. So let's read together in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light 
He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a word here that is used, and the word is word. Uh, but the word in Greek is logos. And it says that in the beginning was the logos, was the word. That's the first thing it says. And then it says the word, the logos, was with God. And then it says the logos, the word, was God. And this logos in Greek is talking about Jesus. Now, this word logos, again, just means word. But to the Greeks, when they heard that word, especially in a context like this, they thought of it as the creative soul and stabilizing force of the universe. To the Jewish people who also knew Greek because it was the language of their area, they recognized this word logos to represent God's creative power. So when they heard logos, they thought of God and his involvement in their history. So logos is active in creation. Logos made everything. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in fact, that phrase in the beginning is the actual Hebrew name for the book that we call Genesis. In Hebrew, it's called in the beginning. To the Jewish people, this logos was God's activity in the past, in the present, and a promise of God's activity in the future. Through revelation, through judgment, in deliverance, and in guidance, just being involved in their lives. And so John talks about this Logos being active. Just a couple of examples. In John chapter 5, Jesus says to a person, a man who has never been able to walk, he says, walk. And simply by speaking, this man is able to rise and walk. In John chapter 11, Jesus, Logos, Jesus the Word, speaks one more time. And a man who has been dead for four days named Lazarus walks out of a tomb. Out of the grave, simply because Jesus, the Word, spoke. Now some people, again, will look at these things and think, I don't really believe that. Those are nice stories, but I don't think they're real. So we have to ask ourselves, do we believe? Do we believe? Now as James says, Real belief is active. So if I really believe, that means my faith, my belief is going to show up in some form of action. Our mission statement and our vision statement are both completely action-oriented. Our mission statement, love God, love people, impact the world, is based on the great commandment that Jesus gave us when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he takes this entire book, the whole law and the prophets, and says, love people, love God, love people. That's it. Very active. And then Jesus, as he is getting ready to go back 
to the Father. He says, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That is Jesus' great commission. And from that, we get the idea that we are supposed to do something else. Our vision statement says that we're supposed to reach people and to love people and to together imitate Jesus and then continue doing that over and over, making disciples who make disciples action-oriented. Our faith has to be active, has to be in motion. And you know, when you live like that, people are going to notice. It's going to be surprising, honestly. It's going to be a blessing to people. And their hearts are going to be drawn to God and they're going to be changed. Sometimes the most miraculous thing that you can do is to love someone unconditionally. Because there are several people who have never experienced that kind of love. And we can't love like that on our own. We have to be inspired. We have to be empowered by something greater than us living in us. And that is God through the Holy Spirit. For us to live like Jesus is, again, beyond our ability. But as we get to know Jesus, as we develop a relationship with Jesus, as we believe more and more and surrender more and more, then Jesus, the Holy Spirit, works in us so that we look more like Jesus and that we imitate Jesus and that our actions, our thoughts, our words look an awful lot like Jesus. In the late 1800s, a man named Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. The basic premise of the book was, no matter what situation I'm in, no matter where I am, no matter who I'm around, I just want to ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? And if that phrase, what would Jesus do, popped out at you, it's because in the 1990s, someone said, hey, we can summarize that Charles Sheldon book just by saying, what would Jesus do? And we can even take it down to four letters, WWJD, and the bracelet thing was born. And they had no idea how impactful that would be. But the idea is, is the right one. In every situation, we need to ask ourselves, how would Jesus respond? And so as we look at this passage, we want to figure out ways that we would look like Jesus. If you're a Christian, it means that you are a little Christ. That's what I-A-N on the end of that word means. So whatever the word is, when you put I-A-N on it, it means you're a little version of that thing. So this is Jesus. This is Christ. Your Christian is a little version of that. So what do we see here that helps us look more like Jesus, to imitate Jesus? I found at least four things. You could probably find more. But I found at least four things that we can observe and ask God to help us with as we look at these 14 verses. So, the first one is in verse 3. It says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So when God created the universe, God, or the Bible tells us that God spoke into chaos, into disorder, and created cosmos, order. Now, you're not God, and you're not going to speak something into creation. But by God's grace and by God's power, you can speak cosmos, order, peace into a life that's in chaos. 
you need to ask the question, is that possible? Do I believe that? And not asking that question about somebody else. Ask that question about you. Do you believe that as a follower of Jesus, that God can work in you and through you to bring peace and calm and order into a life that's chaotic and in conflict? And the answer is yes. If you don't believe that, you're not disbelieving about yourself, you're disbelieving about God. Because God can work in and through you if you are willing. Second thing is in verses 6 and 7, it says, There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. John was a prophet anointed by God to prepare the way for Jesus, to make hearts ready to hear the good news. Now, you're not John, but by God's grace and power as a follower of Jesus, you are an anointed witness for Jesus. You point people to Jesus as John did. You can help make hearts ready to hear the good news and to receive Jesus. Jesus himself in Matthew 5, verse 16 said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine in front of people so that when they see your good deeds, they are drawn to and will praise your Father in heaven. Do you believe that as you live for and with Jesus, that lives can be changed and you can point people to Jesus? Do you believe that? The third one, verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Bible proclaims this truth that anyone who believes in Jesus, anyone who receives Jesus, has the right to be adopted as God's child. So no, you don't go out and adopt children for God, but what you do is you share the good news by God's grace and by his power that allows them to say yes to being adopted as a child of God. When you live like that, lives are changed, and God works and does powerful things. Do you believe? And the fourth one is the one that I want to lean into just a little bit more. It's the very last verse that we read, where it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. One Bible version says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. I think that makes sense. Another one reads, the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And that's probably even a little more accurate. That idea of the, the word dwelling, the way that it, it's understood, again, in, in our culture, we don't quite get this, but it was the idea of setting up camp. Like to come in and just be among. We're going to talk about real camping, all right? Camping where you take a tent, and you take maybe a sleeping bag and maybe a little cook stove or something, but it's not where you bring your camper and your microwave. That's not what kind of camping we're talking about. We're talking about the kind that when you wake up, you're in pain. And you think, wow, this is a great idea for me to spend extra money to lower my standard of living. That kind of camping. When Teresa and I go camping, we used to do that kind of camping. We bought the tent. It was like before we even got married, we bought a tent. We were like, we are going to be campers. And now we're old. 
The way we do camping, we love going to like state parks. We love going to national places, you know, and going in these forests and walking. And it's awesome. Love. We love being in God's creation. We'll even like rent the campsite so we can have a fire ring and we'll do the fire and all that stuff. And then you know what we do at the end of the day? We go to the state park lodge and we take a shower and we go to their restaurant and we eat food. And we say, that was a nice day of camping. Now, again, that is what a lot of times we do as Christians, though, isn't it? Like, we don't really go and dwell with people. I mean, to really go there and pitch our tent and to be uncomfortable and to be crowded together. And when things get messy, we just have to be messy. I mean, we'll go and, like, do the rental thing. But then when things get challenging, we kind of go back to our own homes, to our own lives. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus set up camp with us. He didn't even have a house to go back to. He made his dwelling among us. And he never left until his mission was completed. That's the kind of idea that is here in this text. Jesus wasn't isolated. He wasn't comfortable. And it was really messy. And God is at some points calling us to do that kind of ministry. Now, you're not going to leave your heavenly throne and come to earth as Jesus did. But God is going to call us to get out of our comfort zone and to plant ourselves into people's lives and stay there. And it's going to require a few choices. We have to say no to some things so we can say yes to some better things. So if your schedule is so packed that if someone comes to you with an issue that you honestly can't do anything about it, you need to stop. You need to change some things. If your kids are so involved in so many things that they can't be engaged in the lives of the friends around them and bring those friends into relational communities, relational opportunities to spend time with Jesus, you need to get your kids out of some stuff. And let them have space to do what Jesus is calling them to do. And I know that sounds harsh, but I'm sorry, that's the truth. For some people, that's the truth. We need to be willing to spend time with our family and our friends and our neighbors and our fellow students and our coworkers. We need to enter into the messy parts of people's lives. And one of the easiest ways to do that that I've found is to simply go into somebody's environment and say, I got this messy thing going on. Could you maybe help me with it? Do you know how the walls come down when you do that? So to be real, if you want somebody to be real with you, you need to be real with them. And you do that in small contexts, in groups, in life groups, in discipleship groups, in talking with your neighbor. Go to breakfast, invite a neighbor to breakfast or lunch and just talk about life. Not sports, not weather. I mean, those are lifey things, but that's not life. Spend more time in your front yard and less time in your backyard. And in case you think I'm yelling at you, I promise you there's a huge mirror that I'm looking at right now and it's just blaring in my face. 
But when we live like that, when we live that way, when we are present, then God does powerful things. Do you believe that? On Wednesday, I was walking in the park. The, the weather was nice enough to do that. I was walking and I was just praying. And honestly, the Holy Spirit impressed on me that I'm just too comfortable. That we are sometimes just too comfortable. And that we need to really get a little less comfortable as we dig into this idea of being present as Jesus is present. And that's going to require some time. It's going to require some change. It's going to require some deep questions and some searching. It's going to require some times of being quiet and just listening. And we're not generally okay with that in our culture, whether that's as a person or as a group or as a church. So if you thought it was uncomfortable so far, we're going to get a little less comfortable, okay? And this is going to be between you and God. But just a few questions. When's the last time that you honestly prayed, God, would you open my eyes so that I will see the people around me the way that you see them? So that I can truly love them and care for them the way that Jesus does. We should pray that every morning as we get up. God, would you open my eyes to opportunities of people around me so that I can see them as you see them and love them as you love them? We should do it throughout the day. And so we're going to do that right now. Would you just close your eyes and we're just going to pause and ask that question. God, would you help me? Would you give me a heart that helps me see people like you do? Let's do that. Thank you for that. Another question, do you know the names of your neighbors? Do you know the names of your coworkers, your fellow students, especially those that seem to be more isolated by themselves? Are you praying for God to give you an opportunity to have some relationship with some people around you? Maybe you don't know them. Maybe you do. You know their names, but you don't know their story. Are we praying for God to do that, to open doors so that we can have relational opportunities? Who is God asking you to be in relationship with right now? So just, again, close your eyes, pray about it, ask God to specifically help you think of someone in your context that he is asking you to be in relationship with so that Jesus can make a difference in their life. My guess is right now somebody's thinking about something totally different. Come back to this question. Let God deal with it.
Thank you. On the night um, of prayer that we do at the first uh, Sunday night of the year, um, just a really powerful experience to get to spend time together eating, doing some worship together, and then just praying. We had stations set up, and two of them that really seemed relevant to this, one of them was, it was called uh, Love Your Neighbor. And it gave us an opportunity to just write down uh, something that we know that's going on in the lives of our neighbors, a challenge they might be facing, a struggle they're having. And we just wrote that word down, whatever it was. You can go into our prayer room and you can look at that list of things that people wrote, not names of anyone, just situations. It helps you to see that there are so many needs around us. And, and the globe that we put Band-Aids on, we, we wrote down something that was a struggle, an issue in our world today, and just wrote down whatever it was and placed it on the globe. And that is also in our prayer room. And you can go in and, and be engaged in those exercises again or for the first time, or just look at the things people have already done. And again, it helps you to get a perspective of the needs that are in our world. And as I was thinking about that, I just had to ask myself, when's the last time I went to one of my neighbors, maybe one of those that had a need like that, whatever that is, and said, hey, what can I do to help you? Now, that's kind of unpredictable. They might think you're totally crazy. <laughs> what are you asking me about? What? You're really weird, man. Or they might ask for a lot. So it's not only unpredictable, it's a little bit dangerous, right? I mean, if you ask, you have to be ready to respond. So don't ask the question unless you're willing to be a part of the answer. But it's also very powerful because asking that question gives God an opportunity to show up and make a difference. So, and our final thing to be praying about, what is God calling you? to do? What is God calling you to say? What is God calling you to ask of a neighbor, of a coworker, of a, a fellow student in their life right now? What step is God asking you to take? Let's stop and pray about that. God, we thank you that uh, Jesus was and is present in our world. And it's an incredible opportunity and blessing and challenge for us to look like him. God, we ask that we would look like Jesus as we help bring peace into chaos and disorder and dysfunction. God, would you help us shine the light of Jesus and shine the light on Jesus? God, give us the 
the passion and the energy, the boldness to help someone come into relationship with you as your adopted child. God, help us to be present, to dwell with people. In your name, amen.